Good morning. Some bright lights up here. Uh, my name is Jason, and I lead one of the adult Bible classes here at FBC. And today, our reading from the scripture in Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it to be me, to be me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Jason. We'll be in uh, Luke chapter 1 this morning. Uh, let's begin with prayer, and then we'll jump into the passage this morning. God, we thank you for the love you have given us in Jesus, and the joy it is to celebrate the uh, immensity of his humbling of himself in order to make a sacrifice for us to receive forgiveness of sin. And we pray this morning as we anticipate this season where we celebrate the birth of Christ, that you might do a work in our hearts to remember well his work to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And as you know, we're working our way through 1 Corinthians, but we'll be taking a break for the four Sundays of Advent. And we'll pick up uh, back in 1 Corinthians uh, after Christmas. A question I want to ask you before we jumped into this occasion where Gabriel visits Mary. Why didn't, why didn't Jesus die in the Garden of Eden? You know, because, uh, well, I guess I should. Do you remember the Garden of Eden? Is this new information? <laughs> I mean, it's at the beginning. Anybody who's ever tried reading the Bible in a year has at least gotten to Garden of Eden. If you didn't get to Garden of Eden, I, you, got, you, got, you got challenges, right? So why, you know, Adam and Eve, they eat from the forbidden tree, and they sin, and you will surely die. And then why didn't Jesus just come right then? Like, I mean, he could have, right? They could have just showed up died on a cross that they could have made. You know, why didn't, why didn't they do it just right there? I mean, to me, that seems more efficient. Like, let's just get that done at the beginning. So, because we have to wonder this sort of thing, because uh, God does things a particular way for a particular reason. And one of the reasons we have to understand is, 
is God wants to demonstrate something to us about himself that we see throughout Scripture and we see demonstrated here in the life of Mary through this angel. It's this. God wanted to make clear to us through his patience and his waiting and his long-suffering, he wanted to make it clear to us is that he can make promises to us, even as broken people and as sinful people. God has the ability to make promises to us in our sin and brokenness, and he can always faithfully keep them. In fact, not only can he always faithfully keep his promises to sinners, he always does faithfully keep promise to sinners. Now, just think about in your life, whenever you've made a promise to somebody and then they don't keep up their end of the bargain, do you ever regret that? And you ever look for ways to get out of it or to renege on it or to, or to at least sort of uh, keep your promise in such a way that uh, it minimizes the amount of your loss. And so we might think this is how God deals with us. He makes promises and then, and then once uh, we uh, realize that uh, he is, uh, uh, you know, God who is holy and we disobey him, he could maybe look for ways in which he could get out of it. And this is what happens throughout the course of history is we learn that God always keeps his promises. And we see this fulfilled really significantly in the life of Mary. When God keeps his promises, the first thing we have to understand is when God keeps his promises, it's always good news. When God keeps his promises, it's always good news. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. You, you purchase something that has a warranty. And so you purchase the thing and it has a warranty. And maybe even when you made the purchase, you paid a little bit extra for the extended warranty. Or maybe you didn't purchase it when you purchased the item, but the person called you on the phone a month later and said, listen, for just twice the price of the item you purchased, we will extend the warranty for a, a significant period of time. And, and for whatever reason in that moment, you say, you know what? Yeah, that, that peace of mind will be really nice uh, to have that warranty. And then... Something goes wrong with the item, and you take in your warranty, which is two single-sided uh, pieces of paper, and you say, hey, the item failed, and I purchased this warranty that costs three times as much as the item itself. I was wanted to go ahead and, and utilize the warranty, and then the person pulls out from under the counter this stack of papers, which is all the reasons they don't have to honor the warranty. Did it break on a Tuesday? Oh, yeah, it did. Well, actually, it, it doesn't honor when breaks happen on a Tuesday. Were you eating salami? I did. I did have salami. Yeah, we never... Anybody who eats salami, the warranty... Is, so there's always fine print, isn't there? He said, wait, wait, the warranty said, uh, I get this. And yeah, well, you do get this unless this happens. You, well, why didn't you tell me? We did. Didn't you read the pamphlet that came with it? No. Who reads that? They said, well, you should have, because we explained to you in detail all the reasons we had no intention of honoring this warranty you paid for. We can tend to think this is how God operates with his promises, is that there's fine print. There's something that gets him out of his promises. But here's the thing we discover in this conversation between Mary and the angel. There's no fine print. The promises that God has made throughout all of history are intended to be made and honored for the benefit of those he promised. He makes promises to people and intends to keep those promises. And his intention is for people who trust him, for his promises to be honored in them in such a way that provides the most possible benefit. God's promises are always made and kept 
for our good. And that's his plan. That's how he operates. And that's one of the reasons he wants to operate in our lives and in the lives of humans over the course of time so that he can show us that. He can demonstrate to you and to me that he keeps his promises and those promises are kept for our benefit. Look at verses 26, 27, and 28 in Luke chapter 1. It was the sixth month. And the sixth month there refers to the pregnancy of Elizabeth. It's in the sixth month, sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Not too many angels in the Bible are named. There is Michael, as we all know. Michael, woo, Gabriel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're just like, well, he's not an archangel. Okay, this is Gabriel. Remember, this is what Gabriel said to Zechariah. Zechariah said, you know, uh, Gabe, I'm not sure if you really know what you're talking about. I mean, you understand how was your promise to me that my wife's going to get pregnant? Why don't you show me a sign? And what was Gabriel's response to Zechariah? I'm sorry? Bro, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. Now, Gabriel's been mentioned before in the Bible. Where's Gabriel mentioned in the Bible? In the book of Daniel. So Gabriel's been around a while. He's seen some stuff. And so here we have Gabriel sent by God himself to Mary, to a city named Nazareth. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So she's engaged to Joseph, who's of the house of David. That's really, really important. She has not yet had marital relationships with uh, Joseph because they're not married. They're engaged, and yet they would have been devoted and committed uh, to one another. And the angel greets her in the following way. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. So this is Gabriel's greeting uh, to Mary. Greetings, O favored one. Well, this tells us a little bit about what Gabriel was thinking. When God came to Gabriel, wherever that meeting occurred, God said, hey, Gabriel, I have a meeting I need you to keep for me. I need you to go to Mary, and I need you to give her some information. And, and we realize from his statement here exactly what Gabriel thought of this meeting. He thought, wow, Mary is favored. Wow, that's, well, good for her. That was his, he, when he greets her, he greets her in this way. And this is his thinking about God's interaction with Mary. His perspective on this interaction is, wow, she's, she's fortunate. She's favored. What's the situation for Mary? She's engaged. Uh, she is single, of course, not yet married. She's a virgin. And it's critically important since we're discussing the birth of the Savior to recognize that she has not yet had relationships with uh, Joseph because normally it would seem like that's a little bit of a uh, awkward conversation as someone's anticipating their marriage, isn't it? It's not normally something you discuss, and it seems strange to be discussing it, but it's critically important to recognize that she had not been with Joseph. However, Joseph, it is noted, is of David's family. And that's critically important because we know the Messiah is going to come through the line of David. That's what the Old Testament tells us. And so Gabriel calls her favored because... God is planning to allow her to be a part of God fulfilling his good promises to his people. So God has made promises to his people 
And these promises over and over tell them, I have your, your good in mind, and I am going to fulfill these promises. And the reason that Mary is favored is because she gets to be a part of God's plan to fulfill His promises. Is Mary favored because she's good? I'm, I'm letting you stew on it. Okay, now, I'm not anti-Mary. Mary's cool. I'm down. Okay, just one little problem with Mary, just like every other human besides Jesus who has ever lived, there is none righteous, no, not one. So I probably discuss this every year at Christmas. I will stop when we've gotten rid of all the legalism. We're not home yet, so we're going to keep doing this. God did not show up because Mary deserved it. Mary was not favored because Mary was awesome sauce. Mary wasn't favored because she kept her nose clean and was polite and nice and didn't say the swears or watch bad shows on Netflix or whatever the kids were doing back then. That's what we've got this misconception that God works through Mary because she deserved it. And I want you to think carefully about that theology. Does your gospel allow that to happen? No. Because the gospel says what we bring to our salvation is our sin. God favors us. Why? Because he is a favoring kind of God. He is the kind of God. This is really good news for people like you and me. And I don't mean to throw you under the bus with me. But if God only used good people, we're out of luck, aren't we? The fact that God would use Mary, who is not a perfect person. She is not sinless, just like every other person. She, uh, she was not righteous, absent the work of God in her life. The reason she is favored is the reason any person who has God work in their life is favored, because we don't deserve it. She was favored because God decided to work in and through her at his discretion. So God fulfilled, is going to fulfill his promises to his people and to us, and as a result, her part in that favors her. Look at verse 29. She was greatly troubled at the greeting and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So she's not troubled uh, so much at meeting the angel, it seems like, although nonetheless it would be troubling to have Gabriel show up. She was troubled at the greeting. So what she's trying to do is work out in her mind, do I fit what God is up to here? Do I, okay, I, I see God is going to do something here. The Lord is with me, but I'm not sure if I, if I fit the bill in regard to that. So there's a, a, a number of ways she might think of it. It's number one, if God came to you and said, hey, listen, I want to do something powerfully through you to reach your community, to reach your nation, to reach your family, whatever it might be, you would probably have the same thought I would, and, and likely the same thought Mary would, is we would say to God, D were you around last week? I if you saw what I was doing like Wednesday, I think you might want to rethink whether or not I have a part in what you're doing. So a part of it is we recognize our own brokenness and we say, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if you understand God. I don't know if you should be knocking on my door. You should be knocking on someone else's door because I don't deserve your favoring. So this is a part of what Mary is saying is, is okay, how can God suddenly show it to me? I, I love the Lord and I want to pursue Him and I want to know Him, but at the same time, I do it so imperfectly, I don't know that I should be favored in, in such a significant way. The second thing that Mary would have been thinking is, uh, God, you have a different definition of favored than I do. 
uh, because we're going to discover uh, later on, and you can read the song yourself, uh, Mary uh, sings a song. It's down in verse 46. You're going to have to read it on your own. Mary recognizes, verse 48 of uh, chapter 1, the Lord has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So when God comes to her and says, you are favored, how does she, though, define her life? Humble, small, little, insignificant, maybe even impoverished, maybe even uh, not situated to enjoy the benefits of the culture at large. And so God comes to her and God says, hey, you're very favored. And she goes, I don't know, have you seen my life? I, I don't know, I, don't, I think your definition of favored is different than my definition a favorite. So she was perplexed by the greeting. It doesn't mean she didn't believe the angel. She responded very differently than Zechariah did to Gabriel showing up to talk to him. But she allowed the realities of her life and what God was doing to sort of go, I'm not sure, God. I'm not sure if you really understand how this is working. All right, let's continue on. Verse uh, 30, the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So finally, Gabriel gets to it and explains exactly what she is going to do as a part of God's plan to bring salvation. He says, Mary, here is your assignment. You are going to deliver a baby, and that baby is the son of David, the son of the Most High, the king whose reign will never end. She would have understood clearly, as any during that day would have understood, this is the Messiah, the Savior, the King. She is to deliver this baby, and this child is the promised Savior, the promised King, the Son of God Himself. This is God finally fulfilling to His people the promises He's made for thousands of years, I am sending my Deliverer to you. And He's saying, this is happening to you, Mary, and I'm keeping my promises, and my promises are always good. They're always for your greatest benefit. I want to look at one spot where this promise is most clear, and that's 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. Here's what God said to King David. The context, of course, of 2 Samuel 7 is David had decided he was going to build the temple, and uh, then God came through the prophet and said, hey, appreciate it, uh, but by the way, I don't need a house. Somebody else is going to be, build me a house. In fact, I'll have your son build me a house. You're not going to build me a house. And then God flips it on King David and says, in fact, not only are you not going to build a house, I am going to build your house. That's what God says to him. And he says to David, when your, this is verse 12 of 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is the promise God made to the people of Israel through King David. 
that his son, the son of David, would build a house for God and that the throne of this king would last forever. And this is the anticipation the people of Israel had for a long time. They had hoped this coming king would come. Now, of course, we sort of think Solomon partially fulfilled this. Did Solomon build the Lord uh, temple? Yes, he did. Have you read it? Do we need to read 2 <laughs> Kings or 1 Kings, whichever one it is? No, so, God, so Solomon built a great temple, of course, for God and for the people of Israel to worship God. What was the problem with that temple? It was sort of temporary, sort of a temporary. Now, of course, we live in the United States where our oldest stuff isn't that old. You know, if you go to England, they have old stuff. And then if you go to Israel, they have stuff that makes England's old stuff look new. And so Solomon, of course, built a temple, but it only, it, it lasted a few hundred years. You know, it was nice. I mean, it was covered in gold. It would have cost a lot of money. But it was eventually completely destroyed. It was completely destroyed. In fact, uh, they had to rebuild it. Uh, Ezra and, and Nehemiah during that time, they, they rebuilt it. And, and when they rebuilt the temple, do you remember the response when the, uh, the building committee got done with their project? I'm sure they had a building committee. Why not? What happened? The people cried so loud <laughs> because they had seen the old one. It said, boy, really good try, guys. You know, you did your best. But that's lame. That's terrible. That's awful. So then Herod came in, Herod comes in, and he rebuilds the rebuilt. He rebuilds the rebuilt one, and it's a good one. Herod, I mean, it took 40 or 50 years to build. In fact, it was so nice. When, when Herod rebuilt the temple, the disciples were walking through with Jesus. And what did, the, what did the disciples say to Jesus? Whoa, Jesus, what do you think, man? That is nice. I mean, Herod, I mean, not a great guy, right? Not a great guy, obviously, might be insane. We're pretty sure he's insane. Uh, but, I mean, the guy knows how to build, right? I mean, the guy knows how to build. What Jesus said, uh, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear that down three days. And said, so, so Jesus says, I'm going to build a temple. And who is Jesus? He is the son of David. So what, we, what we're discovering for Mary is she is now right in the current of God fulfilling all of his promises. He's fulfilling his promise to, to Israel and David. You will have a king who will endure forever because your king will never die. Your king will never die permanently. Then your, your king will establish a temple and that temple can never be destroyed because the king will never be destroyed. So God is saying, I am going to fulfill all of my promise to you. The kingdom is permanent. The temple is permanent. All the blessings of God through all of his promises are permanent. And then Jesus shows up in utter and stark humility. And that's where we get sideways with God. Is we think, God, you promised all this stuff would be good. You promised an eternal kingdom. You promised a temple. And then you're born in a manger? And then you spend your life in poverty? And then you die on a cross. And so we get a little bit sideways with God and say, God, you're fulfilling your promises, but I don't think you're fulfilling them in a way that's good. And I don't know that you're fulfilling them in a way that provides us the most benefit. But what Gabriel is telling, telling Mary, this is good news. God is fulfilling all of his promises in the way that most profoundly benefits us. And he's fulfilling all of his promises to us in a way that provides us the greatest good. When God keeps his promises, it's good news. Now, of course, this is going to be difficult for Israel. 
just like you and I, while we value a relationship with God that's based on righteousness he's provided, there are lots of other problems we have that seem that are more pressing. Just like in Israel, there was the problem with Rome, there was the problem with suffering, there was a problem with injustice, and just like we have today, we have lots of problems each of us face as individuals, and we wonder, is God going to fulfill his promise to take care of us? And the reality is Jesus fulfilled his promise to give us eternal life. Doesn't mean this life will be suffering free, but he has given us his fulfilled promise and those promises are good news. When God keeps his promises, it's good news. Let's look at verses 34 through 38, if you don't mind. When God keeps his promises, it reminds us that he can be trusted. So God isn't, um, isn't like a salesman that's, that's not honest. God isn't trying to pull a fast one on us. It's good news. And as a result of his good news, we learn that he can be trusted. Let me read verses 34 through 38. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born to you, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. When God keeps his promises, he can be trusted. And God always is able to keep his promise. He is faithful to keep his promises, and God is gracious to keep his promises, and he keeps his promises in the manner in which they were made. He keeps his promises consistent with what his intention is, which is to provide us the greatest benefit. And the reality is in our life, we always do what we trust. We always do what we trust. When you have a problem to solve in your life, whether it be a financial problem or a a health problem or a problem with your car, you want to fix the problem. And so what you, the choice you make will be dependent on what you trust. If your car is broken, your spouse might say to you, or you might say to your spouse, I'll go out and take a look at it. Right? This happened to me this week. I said, oh, I'll go out and take a look at it. I got out, opened the door, I said, what am I doing out here? I have no, I have no idea what... You know, maybe I'll fiddle some stuff. I have no idea. And then you go back in. You know what I trust? Not me. I trust a mechanic. So let's make a phone call. Let's get the car in. Let's just bite the bullet. I trust, because this needs to be fixed. And I can trust me. And I don't. So what I do, I'm going to make a decision on what I trust, what I rely on. If you're, if you're sick, you, you're going to say, well, what do I need to do to get better? And you're going to do what you, what you trust, what you, where, where your reliance is. And, and what God wants Mary to understand is, I keep my promises, and as you experience this promise fulfillment of God, what we learn to do over time is say, okay, I can trust him. I can come to him with the concerns of my heart. I can come to him with the fears of my mind. So the angel talks to Mary in verse 34. She says this, how will this be since I am a virgin? And Mary here isn't expressing doubt, especially in the way that Zechariah was. She was really asking the mechanics of how is this going to happen? Essentially, she is asking the angel, is this going to be Joseph's 
son along with me? Is this going to be our son who is going to be uh, the Messiah? And, and the angel says, no, this is going to be the son of the Most High. You are going to be made uh, with child by the miraculous power of God. God is going to give you a child because this child is, while reckoned to Joseph as Joseph's son, because he is the son of David, the child is in you because of the work of God. She wants to know the plan. She wants to know what God is up to. And God is, uh, through his angel here, telling Mary, Mary, you are going to have son by, by the power of God. Verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. Curiously, Gabriel, who has lived for tens or hundreds of thousands of years, calls Elizabeth old. I don't know that I can think <laughs> of a greater insult in all of Scripture than Gabriel calling. If I were Elizabeth, I would be very put out. He, the Gabriel says to her, hey, look, I'm, let me show you something to help you establish what God is up to. Here's what's interesting about this. When Zechariah was told by Gabriel that he would have a son with his wife who was barren, apparently his old wife who was barren, Zechariah asked for a sign. Mary did no such thing. She just simply asked, what was, what, how's this going to work? She didn't ask for a sign, but what did the angel provide? A sign. See, Mary was seeking to understand what God was up to, and the angel as a result of Mary's engaging with this by faith is providing Mary what she needs. God knows what we need. And so he says to Mary, look, look at your, your relative Elizabeth. She's old and she was barren, unable to have children because she is old and barren. But she is having a child. In fact, she's been pregnant for six months. And so what she is saying to Mary, look, if God can make an old, barren woman pregnant, can, she make, can God make a young virgin pregnant? And Mary may have, like many of us, say, well, I don't know if those two are related. But the angel is saying, look, God does impossible things all the time. The things that we consider impossible, God considers not impossible. And so he is, the angel here is just simply having Mary look at what God has done, how he has worked in the past, and apply that to your current situation. If, if your relative can be made pregnant by God, then so can you. And then the angel is wanting her to understand, this child is the son of the Most High. That's why this must be in this way. God has got to fulfill his promises in a particular way in which they were made. So the Son of God is going to be born to you a virgin, not only fulfilling God's plan uh, to bring the Messiah to his people, but also fulfilling many of the prophecies of Isaiah. Look at verse 37. Nothing is impossible with God. God can do all things. What things are impossible with God? None of the things. The only thing that constrains God from doing anything is what God wants to do. God's will, purpose, and intent is the only thing that guides his will. Anything that God wants to do, God can do, and he is not required to abide by what we think is reasonable or possible. 
John the Baptist even said it this way. He said, look, if, if God ran out of sons of Abraham, he could make them out of rocks if, if he needed to. So God can do all things. The only thing that constrains God is his will and his purpose. He only does what he wants to do. And what Gabriel is doing here for Mary is providing her all the information she needs to have a response of faith, to trust God, that God keeps his promises. His promises are always good. So therefore, she can make decisions based on he's being good and I can trust him. But it's still faith. It still requires her, I got to believe God. Not just believe God that he's God, but believe God that he honors his promises and they're good. So let's look at her response. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Is her response. What could her, I'm trying to think through some of the ways she could have responded. Do you think she could have told Gabriel? No, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. But um, I've got some things going on in my life right now. Um, yeah, maybe, could we do this like in 10 or 15 years? Like maybe when I've grown up, had time to live life a little bit, you know? Or maybe she just says, no, I want no part of this. Oh, and, uh, Joseph and I have been talking about the future, and the future does not involve him raising a child that's not his. Trying to explain that to people. Gabe, how am I going to explain that to mom and dad? Yeah, give me that script, right? And, and none of that. So, so she, and think about it. If, if Mary would have refused, what would have happened? Gone to somebody else. You think God was going to force Mary? Do you see that anywhere else in scripture? Does God allow us to rebel against his purposes? Yeah, she, then she's rejecting, rejecting the favor of God. The favor of God. She said, no thanks, I don't want any part of it. Her response, and she could have negotiated it. Maybe she could have negotiated it. I think that's what I would have done. You know, this sounds really good, Gabe. Uh, but you know, I, I'm here where you're coming from. Sounds to me like you need someone to carry a baby. <laughs> so let me just throw out sort of my end. I think we need a house and I need a car. And I'm not saying Joseph is bad looking, but I'd like him maybe to improve over time. <laughs> like, you know, I want him, you know, golden bachelor. That's kind of where I'm going. <laughs> I have not seen the show. Stop it. <laughs> judge me. I wouldn't watch that show. If you watch it, it's fine. Knock yourself out. Not judging. Just if you like bad TV, it's your call. <laughs> So she could have come, you know, God, here, yeah, okay, God, if you're going to call me to that, how about, you know, then I think you must, have you ever done that? God, if you're going to call me to that, then therefore I think you must provide this. Or, we, or sometimes we don't even have that discussion. We say, yeah, okay, God, I see where you're going. But in our minds, we assume what that means God is going to do. And then we get down the road. Maybe you've done this before. I did this because I thought God was telling me. I get to here and he's not showing up the way I thought he was supposed to since I did what he, was told, what he told me to do. And now he and I are not doing well because I'm a little irritated. But she doesn't do any of this. She doesn't say no. She doesn't try to negotiate the deal up for her benefit. What does she say? Behold, 
I am a servant. So first of all, she recognizes her relationship with God. He is God, I am servant. He is master, I am slave. He is the one who gives commands, I am the one who abides by his commands. He is the one who tells me where to go, and I say, yes, Lord. Behold, I am the servant, let it be to me according to your word. So in, in, if you're in a, a war situation, this is what's called an unconditional surrender. This is where the opposing party, in order to have peace, comes to the, the, the one who has won and says, we submit to your terms no matter, 100%, whatever you want. That's what she has just done here. Let it be to me whatever you want, God. And she doesn't know what the future holds. Does she know she's going to survive the birth? No. She doesn't know anything about the future. She knows that this is going to be hard. She knows it's going to be difficult because the Bible tells, it, tells us it pierces her heart. Do you think she could have imagined she would have to watch him die though? Because remember, she was there that day. She might not have thought through that far. What she's saying, let, it, let me be in your plan, whatever you want, God. Whatever the future holds, you give the commands, I follow, here we go. This is someone who simply has come to the point by God's grace who says, I trust where God is going wherever it goes. And the reason she does this is because she has discovered God always keeps his promises. So this is Mary's response. Faith expressed in worship in obedience. All of those things at the same time. Hear that again. Faith, I trust God, but it's not merely, oh, I believe God, so I can put a bumper sticker on or something. I don't know. I believe God, so I feel nice. It's faith expressed in worship, and in this case, that worship is obedience. I do what God says. Her agreement results in her obedience, and as a result, she is blessed by being a part of God's plan. That's her being favored. When God keeps his promises, it's always good news. And because it's always good news and he keeps his promises, we learn that we can trust him. Three things, and then we'll close. Good news from God is often unexpected the way it was for Mary. So God isn't unexpected. He always works in the same way. God is always faithful, and God is always good. Here's the problem, and this is what I mean by this. Our sin, even as believers, our sin has warped how we interact and see God. So the, because we don't see God accurately... I'll just say it this way. We tend to assume God is a little bit mean. He's in kind of a bad mood. I'm, I'm pretty sure sometimes he's, he's really, really cheap. He's kind of a trickster sometimes. We imagine maybe he's like a genie in a lamp. Have you heard of the genie? You rub the genie and, and you ask for stuff and he grants the wish in the worst possible way. You know, he grants the wish in such a way that your life is miserable. That's what we think God is up to. He's more than happy to honor his promises. And the result is going to be, I'm going to be even more miserable than ever before. That, that God is mean, he's cheap, a trickster, and, and awful. And the reason I say this is because this is how the devil throughout the scripture describes God. Did God really say? And the reason this 
uh, we, we receive this so easily is because in our, in our broken state, we, we, we misunderstand God. And what the Bible is trying to tell us in this little occasion with Mary and Gabriel is God always keeps his promises in the best possible way. And because of that, he's trustworthy. But it does require faith. We do have to trust him and say, no, God, I know you are good. And I know you are generous and you are kind and you are favoring me, even during a time of great difficulty. God keeps his promises in a way that brings the most possible benefit to those who trust him. However, when God keeps his promises, it might not be in the way that we would prefer he keeps his promises. But we can know from his scripture that when God honors his promises, he does it so in such a way that it's the best possible outcome for us. Finally this, and then we'll close. Participating in God's promises is a matter of trust. It's a matter of reliance. God says, do you trust me to bring to you the best things or do you trust something else? And this is where it's critically important for us to understand. How do we have a relationship with God? We have to decide what does it mean to have a relationship with God and what do we trust to give us a meaningful relationship with God? What is it we trust to know that we're okay with God? When you wake up in the morning and you describe your relationship with God or think about your relationship with God, how is it that you would know on any given day that God is going to hear your prayer? How is it that you would know on any given day that God is with you? How would, how would you know on any given day that God is mindful of what's going on in your life? What is it that you would, would trust? And there's a number of things we could trust. Many of us trust the fact that we were uh, raised in a church. If you go to Texas, I don't know why you would do that, but let's just... If you go to Texas and close your eyes and throw a rock and hit somebody in the head with a rock and go up to that person and ask them, are you a Christian? What are they going to tell you? Yeah. Why? Grew up in Texas. That's what it says in John 3.16. I grew up in Texas, so I love Jesus and motorcycles. What do you trust? Do you trust that your parents took you to church when you were growing up? So therefore God is going to listen to you? Do you trust that you show up to church on a regular basis? So therefore God is going to listen to you? Do you trust that you try and do good things? You volunteer in the community. Maybe you volunteer at church. Maybe you volunteer at your school. So therefore God is going to hear you because you try to do some good things. And do you trust God is going to hear you or God is going to be with you? Maybe because you try not to do too many bad things. Or maybe you try to only do the bad things that most people do. Like watching The Golden Bachelor. Maybe you try to do bad things that are just typical. I mean, everybody does these sorts of things. And so, since I try to restrict the kind of bad things I do, and I try to do some of the good things I do, and, and you know, there's a church where uh, if I were to show up there, I could probably, if I worked really hard, find somebody who remembered me from 10 years ago. As a result, I think I'm going to trust that these things provide to me a relationship with God that's meaningful. 
So therefore, God will hear my prayer, and God will be mindful of my estate, and God will be aware of what's going on in my life. And the Bible says, none of these things are trustworthy. The Bible says none of these things are trustworthy, and I'm, my, my, my guess would be you know these things aren't trustworthy. And the reality is whether you're a believer or not a believer, my experience has been all of us tend to do that. Believers, we do that too. We say, well, the reason God hears my prayer is because I'm a good Christian and I read my Bible this week. So the question is, if God keeps his promises and his promises are good news and he can be trusted, how is it that we can know that God will hear our prayer and he is with us and he knows what's going on in our life? How can we know that? And the reality is we trust that Jesus died for sinners like us. Jesus made the way through his humiliation and his resurrection that when we rely on him and nothing else, nothing else, we just simply say, Jesus has made me righteous because I trust him. We can be well aware because God keeps his promises and he's trustworthy. We can say, God hears my prayer. And God is mindful of the details of my life. And he wants to honor his promises in a way that brings the most possible benefit, even though it's difficult. And so what our call is for us to do as we look at Mary's example is here is say, just simply, behold, Lord, I am your servant. I trust Jesus. I'm not going to trust any of these other things to make me right with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the grace of knowing you through the work of Jesus on the cross. And God, we thank you for the testimony of your word that we can look at and think about the ways in which you have worked in the lives of people throughout history and we can be encouraged to trust you. And God, there are people here this morning that during this time of Christmas where we celebrate your birth and we celebrate the hope and peace that you have provided through your death and resurrection and even still there are people here in this room even this morning who have not yet trusted you for forgiveness from their sin. And God, my prayer would be that this year, during this time of Advent, you would move in their hearts to be convicted of their need for forgiveness and trust Jesus to give them new life. And God, there are many of us here also who have been believers for many, many years, but we carry around a burden of guilt and shame and regret we wonder how, God, you could ever use or love someone like us because not only have we failed, we have failed as believers. And God, I would pray that you would move in our hearts to be reminded that you love us and are keeping your promises to us because of the work of your son, Jesus. God, we pray as we think and ponder on the good things of Jesus' birth that you would give us that great anticipation of your return one day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand up with us as we uh, close with a song?